Please remain standing and turn your Bibles back to Deuteronomy 5. We'll be reading only one verse, that is the fifth commandment in verse 16. Again, that is Deuteronomy 5. We'll be, as we have already read the whole Ten Commandments, we'll be reading only verse 16, that is the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Blessed be God's word. You may be seated. Modern children's movies have a strange and characteristically modern delusion. The family is styled like this. Fathers are lovable, prideful idiots. And mothers are condescending know-it-all leaders. And the children are way smarter than their parents every time, obviously. The genius children always know the solution to the problem of the movie, but their idiot parents just won't listen. Their children know the solution. All the parents have to do is simply listen to the children and obey, but those pesky structures of authority keep getting in the way of the solution. I hope you forgive me as I've now spoiled the plot of 90% of the children's movies for the last 30 years, and even the darling best picture of the 2022 Oscars, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, a movie I recommend to exactly no one anywhere ever at all. And it's a movie that uh, was nearly copy and paste of this kind of family dynamic drivel. And the father being a lovable idiot was probably the most important plot point, actually, in the entire movie. The point from these movies is pesky structures of authority keep getting in the way of solving our problems. I would have solved these problems, authority figure, if it wasn't for your meddling structure of authority. A fifth commandment ought to calm our deluded minds in these modern days. Structures of authority are indeed from God himself. They, in fact, can never be deleted, and they ought to be honored. We ought to never demean them, as they are often done in these these movies and these TV shows. We must instead listen to the fifth commandment, for it is God's command to establish structures of power, submission, and authority for our good. Principally, is about this first human structure of authority, that is, the family. Honor your father and your mother. This fifth commandment holds a special place in the Ten Commandments, in fact. It's uh, the first of the second table of the law. It's the transition in the, the Ten Commandments. The first table of the law has to do with our duty directly to God. That is, as we've seen, the first commandment commands who we are to worship, God. The second command is about how we are to worship, the way that God commands and not by anything in our own minds and not by images, therefore. The third commandment is about our attitude of worship, one of reverence. And the fourth is about the time of our worship and the work for God that we have on those days. One of seven to worship God as the Lord's day and six days of work. All these are good things directly towards God, like worship and prayer and our attitude and setting apart a day for God's worship. No one is between us and God in these commands. Now, in these last six commands, God turns to our service of God in our regular lives 
among regular people. That is, we have now come to the second table of the law, which are the laws God has given us, which we have to do directly with our neighbor and indirectly relates to God. If you were at our Wednesday night study, this will sound very familiar to you. These commands have to do with how we serve Christ through our actions to our neighbor. As Jesus has said in Matthew 25, as you did it to the least of these, you have done it unto me. So when we direct our love towards our fellow neighbor through obeying these six final commandments of God, we indirectly love God through our actions towards our neighbor. Of course, that should be the first motive of any Christians, the glory of God. And so we do so through direct actions towards God, like worship and prayer, and indirect actions like serving our neighbor. But who is our neighbor? Of course, our most immediate neighbor, in fact, is our family, which God is therefore giving us here as our structure of authority. In the second table of the law, it's the first thing that he deals with. Let's examine how the Lord looks on the family as the basis for all legitimate human authority. All human authority in Scripture is, in fact, always linked back to the family unit, at least human authority, and is always compared with it. It's a specifically biblical way of thinking that superiors are styled oftentimes, as we'll find, fathers, and subordinates are styled children. This isn't just an Old Testament thing, but it's in the, Old, the New Testament just as well. But going to the Old Testament first, Genesis 45.8 is an interesting quote from Joseph, who defines his authority in Egypt in these terms. God has made me a father to Pharaoh. Joseph doesn't say like a father, but God has made me a father to Pharaoh, with no metaphorical language. To Joseph, to be in authority is to be a father. Fathering is the definitive language of authority. All of his Egyptian authority, Joseph considers derivative from the family structure of the father. Isaiah speaks of kings and queens all over the earth as fathers and nursing mothers. Isaiah 49, 23, showing that civil authority is really an institution that is styled after parents and their duty to their children. Of course, the civil government is just based off of the family, but it's no substitute for the family. The family, not the state, not any other outward factor, is the most basic unit of all civilization, according to Scripture, ever since, the, ever since it was created in the garden. 2 Kings 2.13, where Elisha says to Elijah, as he watches him enter into heaven, he says, my father, my father. Of course, he's not saying that he is literally his father, not because Elijah is his biological father, but because Elijah was his superior in faith and in church authority. Now, going to the New Testament, we have other examples. 1 Timothy 5.1-2, through 2, encourage an older man as you would a father teaches us that the legitimate authority of age is compared with and established in fatherhood, the more basic authority structure. Paul also speaks of his own authority, interestingly, as if he were a mother, saying to the church in Galatia, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. 
And it says later on in 1 Corinthians 4, My beloved children, through, for though you have count, countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. As opposed to a guide, Paul is styled as a father. And it is prior and decisive so that like a child with his father, the Corinthians ought to imitate his good qualities. All these point back to the parents, to the family as the decisive authority structure, the first for all human authority. There are simply too many more of these in Scripture to go through them all, but we find this about human authority. All human authority is linked back to the family in Scripture and comes from a comparison with the family. And besides this, we might say with Calvin, he says wisely, God speaks here in the fifth commandment of our first and most easily endured subjection. That is, our subjection to our parents, that the Lord might gradually accustom us in our lives to every kind of legitimate human subjection thereafter. Through this first and central subjection, the Lord brings us to the other lawful subjections. Therefore, the first thing this verse tells us is that parents are over children by the Lord's command. And children are under the authority of their parents, although it bears upon all other human structures of authority. Three applications I would like to make before moving on to speaking about honor and what that actually means in our commandment here. First, this command does not only say, honor your father. In fact, says, honor your father and your mother. Specifically, we cannot pick and choose those people whom we honor, those people that God has chosen for us. We cannot choose our father or our mother. They are chosen for us, and yet we are called to honor them. Not because one is better than the other or one is worse than the other do we give honor, but because they were chosen for us. Second, this command is unique in the Ten Commandments. This commandment is spoken directly to children as well as adults. Children, in fact, are the first hearers of this. God cares about our children, and he spoke to them as members of his church in the Old Testament, which is a great reason why we hear crying babies in our own services. God speaks to them directly then. He does so directly now. Third, that ought to encourage us into the clarity of Scripture. Still very stupid, illiterate children, as we all once were, are given a commandment from God and expected to understand it. Not only ought we to be encouraged as parents to give Scripture to our children because God did himself and expected them to understand, but we also ought to be convicted that we make Scripture so hard sometimes when God gives it to children just as much as he gives it to adults. However, this is part of the job of parents, as we now go on to defining honor. Parents have a duty to teach their children the word, as Deuteronomy 6 tells us. You shall teach these Ten Commandments diligently to your children. And, of course, Deuteronomy 29.29 reiterates, The things that have been revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So teach your children the clear words of the word. But children, the burden of this commandment does not fall on parents. Your commanding officer, Yahweh, has given you a direct order, honor your father and your mother. And so we turn 
to what that means. What is honor? Honor is quite simple, really, although living it can be difficult in this sinful world. It's often divided, as we'll see in Scripture, into three different things. Reverence, obedience, and love. First, honor is reverence. We see this when God repeated this command in Leviticus 19.3, but with a different word, with reverence taking the place of honor. Every man shall revere his father and his mother. This is the word fear here, and brings out the first aspect of what honor means. The word honor in Deuteronomy 5.16 is, in fact, heavy. The same word used to describe God in his glory. That is not to say that parents are now God, or they are to be the God of the children, but that parents are now given some of God's weight and fear as if they shared in God's weight and fear in some way. That is, children and those under legitimate authority revere your parents and revere those who are over you, as if what they held was with great weight, as if what they did was weighty, as if what we do with what they say holds great consequences. For God has given them a share of his honor, therefore we ought to honor them. Come to our superiors with an attitude of weight and fear. That is, do not interrupt them, listen to them, and give them their due. And although this is out of style, calling our legitimate authorities by their reverential names. Like Sarah called Abraham, her husband, Lord, out of reverence. Sarah is instructive here because she called even her sometimes very, very foolish husband, Lord. We ought to reverence those in legitimate authority, not because they're always better than us. Sarah knew better than Abraham what to do in many cases in the Old Testament, but because we reverence our authorities that God has placed over us. Therefore, honor God by honoring them. And parents, you must realize that you are God's hands and feet to your children. And parenting is a fearful and heavy thing. You are the image of God to your children. Their conception of God will in some way be shaped by your conduct. Therefore, we ought to do this with reverence, and children revere your parents. Second, honor is obedience. This is how Paul himself interprets this passage in Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And he quotes the fifth commandment. We understand obedience intuitively. When something is said by an authority, we get it done. That is, we do not take the words of our authorities as suggestions, but we take them as necessities of conscience as far as we are able to perform them. Like following the Lord and his direct commands, we take reverently the commands of our supervisors, the commands of our parents, because they are commands from God insofar as they agree with the supreme commander, Jesus Christ, and his word. A quick note here as well. The obedience that we have is often a direct consequence of our reverence. This is why Paul says in the same verse of evils from the fall, haters of God, and then very soon after, disobedient to parents. They dishonored God and did not revere God, and so they were disobedient to other people and to the legitimate authorities. If we dishonor our authorities, then we will hardly obey those we dishonor. 
All these three aspects of honor are intricately linked. Lastly, to honor is to love. I place this last as this is the perfection of honor, to love. Joseph, in his love for his father, fell to his knees and fell upon the neck of his father and cried tears of joy when he was finally reunited with him in Genesis 45, or rather 46. For our supervisors, we ought to bear with their weaknesses and their foolishness and seek to love them as far as we are able. Much like Joseph also loved his master Potiphar and would not dishonor him even though he was foolish and throwing him in jail. Our love of our parents and our supervisors will often be our guide in our conduct and our bedrock to develop our reverence and our obedience. Take this to heart, children. Take this to heart, wives. Take this to heart, employee. And take this to heart, citizen. Love your superiors as far as it depends upon you. But this is not only a command as if God commanded us merely that we might suffer under authority as a punishment, as many today seem to think. No, God commanded this that we might have an abundance of life. This command comes with a promise, in fact, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now let us speak of this promise and what happens to those who don't take care to follow it. Paul in Ephesians 6 says, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. A great reason for us to follow our parents and our earthly masters is this, you will have a long life, and that will be a blessed long life. That is, God will manifest his divine favor in you and through you in long life and goodness. The wicked overwhelmingly die young after a bad life, and the righteous overwhelmingly die to a good old age because of this promise. But what shall we say of people like martyrs, those who die young even though they are righteous in their faith? In many cases, God's glory is the first and greatest command. That is, although the promise is always in effect, the righteous may die young for God's glory in these things. However, there's far more to this than merely this earthly life, as we will find soon enough. We know in Scripture that every promise comes with an accompanying curse. So what is the punishment for those who do not honor their parents? It is not explicit actually here in our text, but is made very explicit in other places in Scripture, the immediate context. So let's go to those punishments very quickly. First, Exodus 21, 17 and Leviticus 20, verse 9. We find God's punishment in the Old Testament Israel for the children who curse either of his parents. That is, the one who does not honor his parents by not reverencing him, the first part of, of honor. If there is anyone who curses his father or his mother, here is the consequence, he shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother, his blood guiltiness is upon him. So great an offense is the belittling of our parents to God that he demanded the ultimate earthly consequence. Now, Christ has fulfilled the civil law, as we know, so that this law, in its effect, that at least in the Old Testament Israel, the judges actually stoning these children, is not in effect like this, but the law still teaches us 
that this ought to be the consequence of sin, of this sin. That is death. If you affront your parents, then you have directly affronted God. And this is the reason why it is so great. Second, in Deuteronomy 21, we find God's law for Old Testament Israel concerning the rebellious, that is, the disobedient son, the second aspect of honor. This is the punishment for the, for the child who does not honor his parent by not obeying them. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. Again, death. So great an offense is the disobeying of our parents and legitimate authorities that God demands the ultimate earthly price in the Old Testament. If you disobey your parents, then you have directly affronted God and disobeyed God. In Matthew 15, we have Jesus Christ declaring that a child has duties of love and gratitude to his father, and those who do not do these duties of love shall die. Matthew 15, 3, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother shall surely die. There he's quoting from Exodus 21, 17. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. Jesus is teaching us that in the loving of our parents, of course, this is an example of a child who could have given money to a parent in need, but instead gave it to the priests, and he did not do his duty towards his parents, Jesus is teaching us that those who do not provide for their parents in need, in love, the punishment of death applies to them just as much as they greatly dishonor their parents. We owe our parents our gratitude and love even in their old age, which applies even to our former legitimate authorities as well. This is the principle at work in all of these cases. If we dishonor those who are above us in authority, we have directly dishonored God who placed them over us for our care. What we do to those above us and below us who legitimately are above us in authority or below us in authority, what we do to them, we do to God, says Jesus. Therefore, if you have dishonored your father and your mother, you have dishonored God. If you have cursed your father or your mother, you have cursed God. If you have not revered your father or your mother, then you have not revered your God. If you have been hateful to your father or your mother, then you have been hateful to your God. This is the principle of death being put forward here. The legitimate authorities that God has placed over here on earth, they are to be reverenced as best as we possibly can, according to the legitimate authority given to them. With this in mind, it is no wonder that the punishment is so strong and that the blessings are so great with this fifth commandment. Our blessing of our parents, our legitimate authority, is to worship God himself in this blessing. And our cursing of our parents, or legitimate authority, is cursing to God himself. But what about bad or difficult parents? There are a few difficulties in regular life harder than a wicked, absent, or difficult parent. Perhaps second only to a wicked, absent, or difficult wife or husband in Scripture. There are indeed parents that do all they can to frustrate their children's life and progress. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. 
We are not obligated to obey the wicked commands of wicked parents. Acts 5 says we obey God rather than men. Or to speak more pointedly to the fifth commandment, Calvin says as well, if they attempt to force us to transgress the law, they deserve not to be regarded as parents, but as strangers attempting to seduce us to the devil. But this only brings us to the justice of the fifth commandment. As Christians, we are called to obey every righteous command from every legitimate authority as far as we are able. We are not obligated to obey the wicked commands, but we are obligated absolutely to obey the righteous commands of even wicked legitimate authorities. It can be very difficult in bad situations, to follow this fifth commandment, especially with difficult parents. Parents can be absent, abusive, or wicked. Employers do not care about their employees. And civil and church authorities can attempt to rule the world themselves instead of recognize and promote God's rule. Even still, let us say that you are in a perfect situation with perfect parents, with perfect employers, and perfect civil and church authorities, we know that we would still sin. There's an old saying, if you find a perfect church, do not go to it, for then you'll ruin it. It is the same principle at work. Have you seen the apostle with our perfect Lord Jesus? Did you see how Judas betrayed him the perfect ecclesiastical authority, how Peter denied him, and how the Jews crucified him. The problem is not authority. The problem is not our parents. It is principally us. We mess up even when what is designed perfectly is given to us, for we are sinners. What hope do we have, then, to fulfill the fifth commandment? The, the, this curse of death is very close by us then. We are the rebellious son that is worthy of stoning. Would you like to live a long life and enjoy life in your own strength, a reward simply for your obedience? Too bad. You can't attain this long and good life if you have broken this commandment even once. Who has not dishonored their father or their mother or their employer? who in the Old Testament is not worthy of the punishment of death, that is, this command, with every infraction resulting in death, shows the mercy and necessity of Christ. Old Testament Israel should have been dead, all of them, if the fifth commandment was not graciously administered. Far closer to home, you and I should be dead for our entire lifetime of disobedience, irreverence, and hatred of our parents and those above us in legitimate authority, especially the civil government here in the United States. Yet, we should realize this. There are no recorded instances in the Old Testament of a son being killed, dishonoring his parents, or hating his parents, or disobeying his parents. Why is this? Was God's word void in this command, mercy towards Israel, through his mercy toward Israel and us? Far from it. Instead, we know of one who was punished for our disobedience. 
one who became a curse for us, one who perfectly kept the law and yet bore the curse for us, who would have faith in him, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Would you like a good life and a long life? You cannot have it except through Jesus Christ because of the curse of death from dishonoring your legitimate authorities lies upon you. Otherwise, we would be dead. God's promise here for long life and for good life would lie completely dormant for everyone in the whole world were it not for Christ and his work on the cross and his Holy Spirit giving us faith in him. For we know that Jesus, God's Son, God's promise is not void in him. 2 Corinthians 1 assures us that every promise will be fulfilled and has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Even this promise, brothers and sisters, in him we not only have life, not only abundant life, but eternal life. This is his explicit reason for coming to earth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If the Lord were to count sins, brothers and sisters, who could have this life? You and I, all of us are hypocrites. All of us have mortal sins against our name. Every sin that we commit is, in fact, Worthy of death, which is what it means to have a mortal sin in the eyes of God. Eternal death is ours, disobedient children. So how do we have eternal life? How do we have pardon from God? By what mechanism? Is it because we keep the commandments? No. It's not because of us that we receive pardon. Hypocrites and sinners all. Because of God's mercy that we find in Christ Jesus and even in the Old Testament, which he gives us by repentance and faith in Christ. United to Christ in faith, we have a tender father who loves us, who is over us in authority for our good. We are called to follow our father's commands, not that we might become children, but because we already are children for even greater blessings, like long life and good life in this life. That is, he loves us and seeks our every good in Christ. As his adopted children, he will not let us be lost to the death penalty despite our sins. So great his love and power as our Father that he will bless us in Christ who brings us to the promises despite our faults, the promises of good and eternal life. So in conclusion, perhaps the modern drivel of children's movies get a few things right. Fathers are, in fact, idiots, as well as mothers, but also children, both of which and all of which cannot solve their children's problems. But we must add that children cannot solve our problems, for no human can solve our problems were it not for the God-man, Jesus Christ. No one can solve their problems themselves. We must trust in Christ, who not only solved our problems, but gave us eternal life and blessing, despite our dishonoring him through our parents. Honor your father and mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, 
that the days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Trust in Christ that despite our failures in every authority structure, we may be brought to heaven, the heaven of promise of eternal life and the eternal life of promise fulfilled in Christ Jesus, our Lord, to whom we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let us go to him in prayer. Our Lord, our Father, we thank you that you have given us your Son. Our Lord, we thank you that you have indeed set human structures of authority. We repent that we have so often dishonored them. We have so often disobeyed them when what they told us to do was righteous. We have so often not loved them and hated them and done doing these things, done what is evil in your sight and worthy of death. Lord, we thank you that you have sent your Son, that we being united to him through repentance and faith, that we might glorify you in what we do, that we might be saved for long and good life, that we might have the promise fulfilled to the uttermost in Christ Jesus, where we will indeed have long and good life in heaven with him. Lord, we pray that on this earth we would indeed be given long life, a good life, that we would glorify you more and more, that we would shine to the nations more and more of your pardon, of your mercy, and of your grace. Lord, that we would not seek our salvation in the things that we do, but that you would point our eyes to Christ, and that we would run with endurance the race that is set before us. Lord, that we would honor our parents, that we would honor our legitimate authorities, and you would be glorified in these things and that we might be saved in Christ Jesus, even apart from our hypocrisy. We love you, Lord, and praise you, and ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.